0: Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. What would Ted Lasso do? This is a question that we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learned from Ted Lasso, and we apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple DeBalia.
1: And my name is Jeff Harry. And neither of us have ever recorded a podcast. But as Ted Lasso says, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong.
0: We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, and that it helps you find new ways to believe.
1: And this was a, a tough episode.
0: <laughs> I uh, forgot how I
1: emotional I got watching this episode, being that I haven't seen it in forever.
0: I know it, it is definitely a doozy of an episode with like so many layers, which I can't get wait to get into. But before we do, do you want to talk about uh, what our things were from last week? Our uh, do you remember? <laughs> Passion, accountability, compassion. It was interesting.
1: So I remember it being compassion and accountability. I was more compassionate with myself, especially I'm writing this article right now that, you know, I'm going through ebb and flow of like it being good and then being like, I hate this article. I never want to look at it again, <laughs> you know, and just just having uh, compassion for myself. But the other thing that came up when I thought of like compassion compassion. And uh, accountability was gratitude. What came up for me was this idea of gratitude being in the mundane. As I spent more time just trying to be like compassionate yet accountable to myself, I also was just thinking about like, okay, you know, I'm about to go spend time with my family, flying back to Chicago. At the end of it, you think you celebrate all of the um, magical um, movie-like moments, but most of the time you spend with family or friends or loved ones is like, it's mundane. Mm-hmm. And, or we can actually appreciate the mundane, like, I don't know, the more powerful that is. So that came up for me as I was during this week. I don't know why. It just did. Yeah
0: yeah, I love that. you know, and it's true. like the the gratitude for like the little everyday moments in life. And it's interesting because they actually did a study on this where they interviewed a bunch of people who had experienced like really horrific things. You know, they'd either gone through genocide, like they'd experienced a genocide or other forms of major trauma. And what they all came back to was um this desire to really or their focus was really on the little everyday, regular moments in life. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they were really seeking, you know? And so, yeah, I I love that. I think that there is so much power in, in recognizing we don't need these major things in our day to day. It's just those little things that we can start to feel gratitude around. So yeah, I can, I can totally see how that come up.
1: And one other thing that came up, I just saw this TikTok today because that's how I get (laughs) to some of my news. Um, And and this person was talking about, you know, manifestation, right? And she was speaking about Abraham Hicks and Alan Watts and, and her take on manifestation, which was really interesting, was she was just like, the problem with the concept of manifestation is that a lot of times we desire something. So we seek it out so badly that that lack actually prevents us from manifesting. And her argument is, is like, there's a, there's such a huge um, cavern between what you want and where you're at. And she was just like the idea of meeting in the middle and really appreciating what is actually happening right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And being like, well, if I'm, you know, if I want to be happy when I'm rich, then I got to be happy when I'm poor. If I want to be happy, you know, being with somebody, then I want to be able to be happy when I'm single. Right. And it's just like, that's an easier bridge of like celebrating again, the mundane of being mm-hmm. like, I'm happy, you know, even though I'm alone and we're talking about relationships, right? I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, alone. I'm, you know, I'm ple. I'm happy with myself. Right. Yeah. And it would be great to be more, but also like I appreciate me for me. Because yeah. and I, I think a lot of times we don't like doing that because it's not a grandiose gesture, but those small, like basic thoughts of you know, catching our negative thoughts and really just being like, oh, okay, I'm not as bad as I think I am. Mostly,
0: yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: really, really helps. And maybe that's part of tying it back to the compassion accountability is the idea of, of anything being compassionate accountability is catching, being accountable to my thoughts,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah. calling
1: out, calling out those thoughts that are not serving me as much, because a lot of yeah. times I, I just let them spiral out of control.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think a lot of this does come back down to that self-awareness, right? Like having the awareness to recognize what those thoughts are and when they're popping up and, and whether they're serving you or not. For me, what came up was, um, so I had a a bit of a an argument with my sister, um, as sisters do. And so it's not really that big of a deal. But because I was kind of in this mind frame of what would Ted Lasso do, I was looking at it from a different perspective. And Noticing that, you know, like my instinct is to kind of dig in, and you know, last we we were talking about kind of the storytelling, like the stories we tell ourselves about a situation, and like you know how we feel we've been wronged, right? Um, but what came up for me was was the recognition that, you know, I think for there to be true accountability, it has to be accountability for ourselves, not for the other person, right? So. It was making me think about like last week when we saw Roy and Jamie at the bar, you know, Roy took responsibility for his actions or how he shows up, uh, but he immediately wanted Jamie to do the same, right? And I think most of us, we want that. We take If we take responsibility, we want the other person to like own their part too, but we can't control whether they do or not. And so if we go into it with the expectation that, okay, I'm going to own up, so they should own up too. Uh, I think sometimes we make things worse because then yeah. we get frustrated or upset or annoyed because we don't feel like it's been reciprocated, right? But if we're doing it for ourselves, if we're genuinely being accountable to say, hey, I know what I did was not right and I'm I'm owning that. And then we leave it at that with no expectations. Yeah. I think that that's like a really important piece of it for it to really be accountability. And the other thing it got me thinking about was just like, the concept of gaslighting, right? Because I think accountability helps with that, like helps to take away gaslighting. Because sometimes I think that like our flight response, uh, if you're a fight or flight, like everybody has fight or flight, but some people err. I mean, like uh, end up bending more towards the fight side, some people more to the flight. And I think a flight response is really sometimes where people, if they're in a situation uh, you know, they're not honest and they're like, no, I'm fine. Like it's, you know, whatever, it's no big deal. Yep. Uh, and, and sometimes you can tell that the person's not fine, but like, what are you going to do? Like they're, they're telling you, right. You can't be like, I know, I know you're not. And they're just going to keep saying, no, I'm fine. It's you. You're the yeah. one having an issue. Or we tell like a story that makes us feel kind of like a martyr in the situation, <laughs> And then we gaslight the other person, right? Yep. And so I think uh, that's the other thing that I really was thinking about with accountability is like, it's just a really great way to to kind of get away from from that piece of it.
1: So. I feel like we also see accountability sometimes as mean. And sometimes the idea of accountability is just like checking that you're, that you're living up to your values.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: So let's get into
0: it. So many layers. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. So I can't believe we're halfway through this season. So this episode five, Tan Lines. I believe it was written by Brett Goldstein, so Roy Kent. Oh wow. Just a lot of a lot of turning points in this episode. Yeah. So this was something interesting I found out yesterday as I was kind of doing mm-hmm. a little research. Is that this this episode was originally titled New Underwear? And somewhere along the way, they changed it to tan lines. And so there's um, uh, one of the articles I was reading was saying that, like, apparently Jason Sudeikis, when he does these monologues, like he's changing them right up until the last second. So that whole thing about his teacher, like there, there's a thought that maybe like part of that had to do with the new underwear piece. Um, and that maybe they just changed it because it didn't really sound like him. Uh, but it got me thinking about the titles, too. You know, last week it was For the children that was really used as kind of the excuse for poor behavior by Rebecca and by Rupert, Mm. like everything was full. Like what was happening wasn't right, but Oh, it's for the children. And then this week with tan lines, just really thinking about like, I know like I'm overanalyzing things, but like, it's just fascinating to me how they make some of these choices. And uh, as I was like watching the episode again, uh, what was coming up was like with, tan lines it's really like there's a part that's covered up and that stays the same right and you have to be open and the parts that are open are the parts that are changing right so the parts that are getting darker if you're like laying out Mm in the sun or whatever and so this idea of being open to change which i think that a lot of this episode is about so uh i don't know i could totally be making that up
1: (laughs) that is so deep i was not there I I have not gone that far down the rabbit hole. Um no, I mean the the feeling I got from the beginning was like, you know, it's it, the whole episode's about family, right? You know, it starts off with Higgins' family, you know, and also the quiet, you know, like his his wife being like I hope she dies of heart attack. <laughs> but like, you know, they have their unsaid things that they're um, trying to, then lasso walks in and is like trying to connect with Rebecca and build family. And she's like, no, but now Mm. they have like a certain rapport, almost like a brother and sister where she's like, Oh, I hate this kid. Almost like he's the younger brother, but he's not leaving and she can't get rid of him. (laughs) And then Rebecca also reaching out to Keely and offering her a job. And being like her building a more of a support network and a family. That's the part that I was like fascinated with. And then even the even as like the team is becoming more of a family and how like Lasso's definitely speaking up more, especially when he's like, dude, you got to pass the ball. And then it was just so awesome when he uh, he just cancels practice. (laughs) <laughs> when he <laughs> runs and then it is that analogy of just like oh i don't think he realized how far of a run that is and then yeah uh, and then the other coach what's the other coach's name what's beard name? coach beard. beard beard is like metaphor yeah
0: <laughs> and then
1: he even says to his wife he's just like oh i thought y'all would meet me halfway so yeah yeah they also,
0: I thought that- came
1: all, they also came 4,428 miles so you know so.
0: 38 38. Or but 38 yeah you're right so. yeah you're right you're right actually you're right i didn't think about that cuz um when i saw that heard that metaphor piece i i was like well that's interesting like he has to go the whole way and when you think about like the arc of the episode like ultimately he's the one who's coming in my mind it was like he was making that decision and coming forward and that she to meet her where she was at mm-hmm. um but that she wasn't doing the same necessarily but you're right. She did come to England. So I hadn't really thought about that piece of it, but, but it did feel a lot like he was having to, to move much closer to, to where she was at rather than both of them coming in. Yeah. This idea of family, I love the Higgins too. And it turns out that the woman who plays his wife on the show is actually his real life wife, which is also kind of cool. Oh, really? Oh, wow. But yeah, like they just have such a solid relationship. And so I think that was one of the themes, right? Like really looking at relationships. There were so many in this little episode. So there's mm-hmm. like, you know, the Higgins for sure, or yep. Higgins and his wife. There's Ted and his wife, Ted and Beard. Like I think that yep. there's a beautiful story yep. there. I love Higgins calling it the inner sanctum of Ted Lasso.
1: Yep. There's that. <laughs> I family. think there's yep. like that Him relationship. Being allowed to be in it. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ted and the team. So those dynamics, Jamie and the team. And then definitely, like you said, Rebecca and Keeley. And so I wanted to, I wanted oh, to like, oh, well, even
1: And even Nate, Nate sitting down, yeah. Nate getting to sit down with the team. Like they made yeah. a, a spot for him. It's so subtle, yeah. but these things are like major.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that monologue. This is the first big monologue that we get from Ted Lasso. I think in the season so far, like we'll get another few, uh, in the the weeks ahead, but I think this is the first big one that we see. It's always so super powerful anyway. Like I I love when he has these. So what I found was interesting was like when you, when they go into the locker room after the halftime, it's super quiet. Like normally like they're all like talking and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but I feel like it's the first time that you see like Ted is a little bit nervous too. He doesn't seem like he's uh, because he doesn't call everybody together. It's Roy that actually calls everybody together to talk and, or to listen to him, you know? And I agree. I love that little piece of Isaac just scooching over and and telling Nate to sit down, you know, and you see that growth happening around like where they started, where he was the bully to now where he's like, yeah, come sit next to me, you know? But it was just, it was so beautiful. And this idea of, of being broken and and needing to come together. Because even in the, the practice the day before, he says, you know, we have to play as a team or we're going to get oh, our butts gosh. kicked. So thinking about like that idea of being broken and going back to like the vulnerability we were talking about last week, like, I think there's so much of that that's coming out. And even like this play on like masculinity and femininity, like in this show, especially, you know, there's, you're, you're in like a, a major sports team, right? So it's like the height of masculinity. And yet when they're, they're being vulnerable, when they're like opening up, there's this mm-hmm. sense that there's this like feminine energy coming in, you know, and there's such a, a flip, right? Because then you've got Keely and Rebecca who are two super powerful women and have a lot of like those masculine kind of tendencies, uh, which I think is really interesting too. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm curious, like your thoughts on what came up for you in that um, that monologue. So I'm assuming
1: <laughs> they're like four or five weeks into the season, right? And they haven't they haven't won a game. Yeah. So and now they have an opportunity to win a game, only because of Jamie Tart, right? Because he scored those two goals. But that is the first time Ted makes like a major coaching decision but yeah. that is also public, and I talk about this. I ran a workshop called Office Politics BS with uh, my friend Lauren Yi, and we use the analogy of of managers having to like ask for permission. Like he literally runs up and asks for for permission when yeah. he could just fund it himself, but he felt this need to because he was like, "I'm changing the entire team. Like this decision is not just for now. This decision." Is going to change everything. And you probably could fire me just for this one decision. Yeah. When he does that, like he is now putting his stamp on the team. You know, a lot of sports announcers talk about this how, like, a coach, when they make their first major public decision, like that's their stamp on the team. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is there's so many examples of teams where as soon as the star player left, Mm -hmm. They became amazing. Like Alex Rodriguez left. Seattle Mariners made like the playoffs. Like what was it? Herschel Walker left Dallas and all of a sudden they won a Super Bowl. So like, it's fascinating all these different times when coaches made a choice that almost got them fired by Mm -hmm. putting the team over the individual. And it's interesting because Tart's not even in in the locker room. Like, I guess he just. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I was like, whoa, I totally forgotten about that you yeah. know and, and the fact that they play the ted lasso way and they make the extra pass at the end that's yeah. what makes it so sweet is that moment so i've watched so many sports films where they have the talk and mm-hmm. it's really like this majestic powerful talk miracle on ice any given sunday <laughs> this one has this one's not inspiring at all to me My, this one is more like it's just He's just randomly talking about his life. Yeah. But for some reason, it still is still is powerful, even though it's not like inspiring because he saves the day, you know, by being like, and I'm talking about lady football. But you know, but the <laughs> yeah, not
0: behind, in it. Yeah.
1: But the feelings behind it is he's like, we're changing. Like mm-hmm. I know I just made a decision to change, and you have a choice. You can follow me in this decision change, or you could leave like Tart because yeah. like we might go downhill because we just gave up our best player. So really what I'm asking or I feel like he's asking is like are you ready to do my way? You know, yeah. ready to yeah. do the lasso way, which I myself am scared to do. And that yeah. is really powerful because they're all like, "Oh." And then the the part that I found is The only part that I found, like, really inspirational where it actually made sense is when he smacks
0: the sign. Yeah, yeah. He smacks the
1: sign. Then you're like, that's the whole point anyway. It's just like, when I first came, this was going to be my way. You didn't believe in me. Now we're all in it together. Smacks the sign. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like the monologue itself is just like, he's reminiscing and kind of like, and he's talking about change, like he's relating it back to change, but, uh, but there is something really powerful in that too, because I think he's calling out like what nobody's talking about. Right. That change Mm -hmm. is scary and, but it has to happen and in order for there to be growth and forward movement. And the other piece of this though, that really stuck out for me, um, you know, if you take it back into kind of like a, uh, a leadership context or like in a, you know, even like in an office setting is like, I've, I've seen so many workplaces where there's that one person that just makes everything toxic. Right. And like you said, with mm-hmm. a lot of these teams, as soon as the one person leaves, like the team comes together. Right. But it's that choice of, of, of it's, it's making that decision, that tough decision to, Again, hold that person accountable. So in this case, like Ted had told him at practice, look, or at training, like you have to make the extra pass. And, you know, and then he chose not to. And when he made the second goal, you know, you see Ted just looking at the field and like the team looks dejected, right? They look completely like they're all just like staring at him and they just look so down and it's in that moment that he makes that decision, like, all right, you know, we got to change things, and that's where, like, you know, in the, in the monologue, he talks a lot about courage. Like, change does take a lot of courage, yeah. and to have, and so in that, like, he's one of those leaders that has the courage to say, all right, look, I'm going to make a choice that nobody's going to agree with, and and nobody yep. does, right? Like, in the pub, they're all yelling at him. Yep. In the in the stadium, they're all yelling at him. Uh, but I love that when he comes back down and makes the change, Beard looks at him and he goes okay. You know, like like
1: we're, we're in it. Yeah. Like this is the ride now. Now we're in it.
0: So the believe sign for me was really powerful too, you know, because there's no words. He, he says, I just, you know, I have one last thing to say. I want all eyes on me. And then he slaps the sign. But I think there's a a message there too, about it's believing in him for sure, but also like believing in themselves, right. That Mm -hmm. they, they don't need Jamie. Like they, can do this they have it within themselves to do it and and to your point like at the end of that when roy does choose to make the extra pass it's like he's putting you know he wants that collective win as much as as ted does you know he doesn't need to be like the star player or anything like that like for him it's about team before individual Mm -hmm. you know whereas with jamie it was always like The fact that he's on the field, like yelling me, 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 me. (laughs) what the heck? So, yeah. So, so powerful though. But I think you're right. Like I felt like a big overarching theme for this whole episode was around agency and choice though. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the choices that we make. And, and so even that concept of believe, like we have a choice, we have a choice to believe in ourselves, to, Believe that we can do something. We have a choice to find the courage to take those difficult decisions. At the end of the day, like we can, we can just sit back and and hope for the best. But I think a lot of what I felt coming out of this was how much choice we have in a given moment.
1: Yeah, the other thing that comes up that I just realized was the way in which he had to let go. His wife is the way in which he had to let go of Jamie. Because he was trying to save Jamie, even at the very you think about it right all the way up until Jamie's taking the photo right before he goes on the field. Like Ted was about to go in on him before his kid shows up. Yeah. And then he realizes how toxic Jamie is because Jamie's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And you can say your stuff and you can say your mumbo jumbo. But the whole time, I'm not even listening to you. I'm just hearing people singing, Jamie, you know, (laughs) and then I think the last straw for Ted, I mean, there was other last straws like on the field, but the last straw for Ted in the locker room was when he goes up to coach beard and he's like, good boy. Mm
0: -hmm. Like he literally
1: insults beard and it's just like, Oh, like this is done. Like, this is not. Yeah.
0: It's very, I don't know. I found it kind of relatable. Like when they first go to the pub for lunch mm-hmm. and there's just like a lot of awkwardness between them, you know, yeah. like yeah. you can feel he, it. Right. He's so
1: excited to show them around and he's so happy yeah. and you yeah. can feel more of that connection with his son, but like yeah. him and her, like the, the conversation is so weird.
0: Yeah. The, do- the yeah. donut,
1: the donut newspaper <laughs> and stuff like that. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And you can tell like he and he like, he's usually like, so like, you know, bubbly and talking and stuff. And he's like stammering at the beginning of that and stuff. And you can just feel like the distance that there is between them, you know? And, and sometimes like, I know, like I've been in long distance relationships that when you first come back together, um, it is a little bit awkward and like, until Mm -hmm. you find your footing. And so, you know, the next scene when they're like building the bus together, like that starts to feel a lot more like, you know, that they're comfortable again. They're joking around. You can see like she throws something at him. And and by the end of the night, when they're in the bed and he's just laying there smiling, like he's just so content. And so you see like that whole arc happening, which I thought was really interesting. But- Oh, uh, that was interesting to me.
1: I didn't have that experience when they're building the Lego. Oh. The experience I had is like, they are in tune, attuned, right? They're attuned with each other when mm-hmm. it's about their son.
0: Oh yeah. But when it's
1: just them, like it's almost like they're walking on eggshells, especially him.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really yeah. great point.
1: Because because anytime they're it's just them, like her crying when she's looking out the window, and then all of a sudden, as soon as the sh- sun comes in with the jersey on, like they're both they're they're in tune together. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, I could totally see that. Now that you're talking about it, what about that? Uh, their whole like having like going separate ways. What came up for you and not?
1: Um. Well, I know I've been in that uh, that relationship where you're walking on eggshells, and it's rough, dude. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah, it, it is because it's almost like it's almost like a funeral. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's almost like there's mourning. Like you kind of know but you know, you've let it linger. You know, I'm sure many people have felt this way when they're like, man, I should have broke up with that person years ago. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. yeah. Someone's was
1: like, I got, I should have divorced that person, you know, so long ago, like, you know, before, you know, and I think like that trip was like the last hurrah. That was the, like, it's, he gonna, is we're either going to rekindle it or not. And mm-hmm. I think Ted comes to the realization literally in that locker room
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: when he's doing the speech to be like, oh, it's over. It's been over. And the only thing that's preventing it from being over is me. His optimism is what's keeping it going. And what did he, what did he say to her at the end? He goes, I've never quit anything in my life. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're not quitting. You're just letting me go. And it was like, "Woo!" wee Wait, is that the Ted Lasso's wife and is there actually to get married?
0: No, 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 no. That's Higgins
1: and no. his wife. Higgins. Higgins.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I could totally see that. <laughs> yeah, right. That idea that like Ted's identity has always been built around not quitting, always mm-hmm. being optimistic, always. And the reframe, the reframe mm-hmm. is, is huge
0: going back to what you were just saying about them being attuned over their kid, you know, in that last scene, if there was anything I could do to make you happy. I would do it, you know, mm-hmm. without question. Uh, but I, I can't control that piece of it. And so you don't have to keep trying anymore. Like, you know, so like all of that, like he's okay, but it's, it's as soon as he looks at his son, where he, where that feeling of like, I'm quitting something comes up for him, you know, but going back to that idea of agency, like, you know, he's making a choice that is allowing them all to move forward and so to me like quitting would be staying in it just because Mm. you know but it's again that courage to go the full distance to meet her where she's at and to to still like step forward to make sure that he's going to be there for his kid like my heart just breaks every time I watch that scene for a variety of reasons and the music like I know I've talked about music in the past um, as well but the music in this episode is so powerful and it's so intentional you know so when they're building the lego bus or whatever um the song that's playing is by sam cook and it's all about a relationship like a a relationship that's ended and he's like wanting it back and wanting that love back and that's what that whole song is about that's Mm -hmm. playing and then in this one it's um it's mumford and sons it's um forever And what is just so amazing to me is how they've scored it so that it's like timed perfectly with each thing that's happening. So as like, she starts to move towards the car and the car pulls away, like the lyrics of that song are, you know, like, do it for yourself, do it for the girl, do it for you, dare I say forever. And it's all like, it's, and that whole song also is about kind of letting go of, of something and, like get letting go of love in a relationship, but then like being able to experience that through the memories. And so um, Mm -hmm. like the song talks a lot about like, you know, looking at it through your eyes and your mind. And, and it's about the girl, like leaving, letting go of the girl in London. And I just like, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, I just think it's so amazing how they've done that. But for me, like, I really think sometimes that the music is like another character in Hmm. You know, whatever I'm watching, because I think it adds so much. And in this particular show, like they've been so intentional. and I was reading somewhere that because they're for working for Apple, like they actually have a massive music budget, you know, a pretty big library to choose from, <laughs> which is great. but the the fact that they're choosing songs that have lyrics that mirror like whatever's happening is just, I think, so phenomenal. But uh, the other thing I was gonna say is like, before he has this conversation, before even like the game, when they're uh, talking to Higgins, when he's talking to Higgins and Higgins talks about, um, you know, his relationship with his wife. And he says, you know, if you're right, if you're with the right person, even the hard times are easy. And it just, my mind automatically went to, and when you were with the wrong person, the easy times are hard, right? Because I, I remember like being in a relationship that was just like, I felt so lonely Mm -hmm. and I was in the relationship with this person, Mm -hmm. right? But everything was a struggle. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but again, like there was just this fear, like, oh my gosh, I I need to figure out how to make this work. I need to like change Mm -hmm. or I need to do this or I need to do that. Um, And so I really, I appreciated that discussion so much because it's, again, it's just so like nice to see like four men sitting around talking about like
1: mm-hmm. something like this what came up for me was so i was in a you know long term or a long uh, consider a long uh, relationship and um i was going to get married to this person and then it ended we went to therapy to see if like we could work on communication issues and we ended up not getting mm-hmm. married instead we ended up breaking up And that ended last year around this time. And a year later, I don't know if I'm fully over it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like sometimes I feel I'm still in the relationship, even the relationship ended a year, a year ago. So there's, again, there's something powerful about what you said earlier about agency and choice of like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter if you make the choice when you're in the relationship or even after the relationship is over, like you, you know, the process is the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's the choice of actually like breaking up and being like, this is not going to work out, but there's a bigger question of like, are you finally ready to let go of what could have been? There's such a, there's, I think a lot of our suffering as, as human beings, come from, you know, expectations, right? Expectations being the thief of joy. And the idea of you had this notion of like, oh, this is how it's going to play out. And then it didn't play out that way. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to mourn the fact that that is not going to happen anymore. And a lot of yeah. people never let that go. They always that's and that, that's where a lot of like depression comes from is this idea of like what it should have been and why is it not there and not being able to embrace what's about to happen because you are still focused on what it could have been.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when Ted starts that conversation with Michelle, he says, you know, he talks about how they were in the parking lot and hmm? they had no idea like what it would turn into, you know, and there's something, and then they like cut to like Roy and Keeley. Yeah. It's always really exciting, right? Um, but there is, there's something to be said for that. Right. Like, um, I know you and I like had this conversation even about this podcast, like when we were talking about whether to do it or not and, you know, to go into it without those expectations. And it's funny, my dad used to say that all the time about everything. Like he always taught us, like, don't have expectations of anyone or anything around you, like go into it uh, without, because to, to your point, like it does steal your joy, right? Like you build up this whole thing in your mind about how, how you want, you know, like what you want things to to look like, or how you want them to sound or how you want to show up. And there's just so many things that are out of our control. And so Mm -hmm. like, you know, so inevitably, uh, something's not going to work out. And, and then you end up just feeling so terrible and, uh, yeah. And so I think, Like that, that's like a big one, not having expectations. Like, I think it's, it's such a great uh, plan, you know, and again, it shouldn't even be a plan, but that's such a great like concept to think about so hard to put into it's, practice. It's so, so hard. hard.
1: I, I use the example of the groomzilla, bridezilla, you know, where the, um, you know, where they, you heard
0: groomzilla, but I like it.
1: I mean, you know, if you're going to say bridezilla, you're going to have to I say agree. too. Like that's yeah. why I lead with groomzilla, right? <laughs> but both of them, like any, like imagine when you imagine having the party of your lifetime, right? And it has to go a certain way. If you're so focused on it going a certain way, you miss all the love, the connection, the curiosity. Yeah. All these people are showing up to celebrate you, but you yeah. are fixated so much on it happening perfectly that you miss out on all of the other opportunities of, of love that you could experience. And I use that analogy because like, it's like, what a waste because you have you're never going to have that many people that love you in one place again, except for maybe your funeral you know, right. Yeah. When you're not yeah. going to be around. So why not enjoy that experience before you to enjoy that experience? You have to embrace curiosity and you have to let go. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So there's, so we've got like Ted and Michelle on the one hand, and then you've got the breakup between Keely and Jamie, <laughs> and like 24, less than 24 hours later, Jamie's already moved on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I just think there's like so much grace in the way that she like handled that whole situation, mm-hmm. you know, like coming in to find this woman, you know, barely clothed in her right. ex-boyfriend's kitchen. Uh, I thought it was funny that the girl is like Keely's number one fan. also. Yep. <laughs> like, right. That was really funny. Uh, but just like Jamie's cluelessness, you know? And so when she says, uh, yeah. you know, I I, I always like, uh you know doubt like my decision about breaking up but you've made it really easy and he just he takes it at face value he's like please well, yeah. welcome i like to make people feel good it's like do you know like his lack of self awareness is just like mind blowing
1: well it's also funny <laughs> funny the language you used of like he's already moved on you know from keely what i think of is like he never was with her
0: right actually you're right it's
1: like because he's never been with anybody like the whole thing with Jamie and he says it even when he's just like well I'm going to take a shower alone he doesn't see women and probably the same way he doesn't see his teammates he doesn't see them as not even equals he doesn't even see them as humans he just sees them as just you know things that he uses before he mm-hmm. moves on to someone else so i don't think he's even really under, ever understood even what a relationship is right. Yeah, It's just a warm body that, and anyone that, that is able to be close to him is really lucky. Just like, you know, Ted Lasso's kids are really lucky. Coach Beard is really, everyone is lucky to be near me, like me, me, me. (laughs) And it's kind of actually sad (laughs) because it's such a lonely existence because then nobody likes him. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: and it's just, and nobody likes him. He still gets praised, right? But if anyone that actually no one nobody likes him that actually knows him. Um, well, and
0: he has that reputation, right? When they're playing the match, mm-hmm. uh, when he goes to do the
1: the free the kick. penalty
0: kick, yeah, the announcer is like, you know, will he look for a teammate or will he go for the glory?" And then they say, "Well, in Jamie Tart's case, uh, it's usually a rhetorical question, you know? It's like everyone knows, like that's that's what he's like. Yeah. Uh, and and it's and it's almost
1: so sad because like you even see him you know trying to you know build or relate with the beer, you know, he's just like, "Oh
0: yeah. Me.
1: I'm so entertaining." Yeah. And everyone's just like, "You're not." <laughs> like, you're just not yeah. that relevant and you're only relevant because you're on a crappy team. Yeah. Right? Like that's yeah. the other part that I think is really interesting about him. I, I forgot what happens next, but like, you know, he's not a big deal anywhere else, right? Yeah. So, um well yeah. it
0: is curious, yeah. right? It is curious that man Manchester City would loan him when he is I mean, he's a pretty good player, right?
1: But but great teams in English Premier League always loan out players. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And see, I don't Especially I don't know if, if they don't
1: especially if they don't because then you can keep them while you're uh-huh. While you and then you can pull them whenever someone gets injured.
0: And but it is curious, right? It's curious if uh, part of that though is that he wasn't a team player over there either, and so.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. right.
0: So, yeah. Right.
1: Or he, or he just wasn't as good as he thinks he is.
0: Yeah. And I think it. that's.
1: I think that's the part of like going back to like toxic people, right? Is I think toxic <laughs> people. Or especially toxic leaders or toxic people in the workplace, you know, many times think they, their attitude is beneficial to the organization. Like I remember talking to this one guy, I wasn't friends with him, but like we were on a trip together. And I was just like, why are you so such a, an ass? <laughs> and <he's, laughs> he was open to having this conversation. He's just like, oh, because that's what people want. That's the only way yeah. to get th- that's the only way to get things done. That's the only way I get respect, and it was yeah. like just looking at him, just like Jamie. It was just like, man, this is so sad. It's so yeah. sad that the only way you can get respect is to be horrible to people,
0: or you think you're getting respect. It's probably right. not even respect. Probably you know? not even
1: getting respect, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. One thing that that I noticed, and I, I'm curious if you noticed this too, was um, there was two instances of kind of. I don't want to say mansplaining, but like where men felt the need to like weigh in or when uh, Nate asked him, well, why did you leave? He says, every time I tried to fix her problems or do something sweet for her, uh, it would end up blowing up in my face or something like that. And so there's that piece of it, which kind of struck me, like this idea of him needing to fix her problems, Mm. you know? And then the other, and so it's not really mansplaining, but like this thing sometimes that men have with wanting to, feeling like they need to be the ones that are fixing things when women aren't necessarily asking them to do that. Yeah. And then the other one was where Roy like weighs in on Keely's relationship, you know, and I, again, I just, I love Juno Temple so much Um, and her response, you know, with like, and she calls him out on it, you know, I'm not, yeah. we're not together anymore. We broke up, but who asked you anyway? Right. Yeah. And then she says like, I'll, I'll start to ask you permission for everything that I do moving forward, yeah. you know? Uh, but I'm curious, like, I, like that just for some reason, I was like, it feels so like with the way that the men are on the show and how open they are and stuff, it's just interesting. It brings you back to like the reality of like, yeah, but they're still human and there's still going to be <laughs> those tendencies. But I was curious if if that stuck out to you at all or.
1: Yeah, what I loved about that scene was Keeley was giving a little Roy back to Roy, which I really <laughs> loved. And even the text that she said where she was just like, my bladder's full. So now I'm. But yeah, I mean, speaking about mansplaining, I mean, I know this sounds weird, but I have also been mansplained by another man. And 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 I only got a glimpse of it. So I don't experience what you experience on a regular basis. And I was like, I am sorry. I made a whole video about like how <laughs> I remember
0: that how yeah.
1: horrible. It was because I just sat in it because I was in Portugal. I was talking to this guy and he literally just just talked to me for like 20 minutes and did not let me have like a word the whole time. I don't know. He was lonely or whatever it is. So I think a lot of times us men mansplain out of insecurity, right? It's part of the whole patriarchy, white supremacy thing of like, we should know what we're talking about. And it's funny, we talk more and explain more the less we know what we're talking about. <laughs> and that's the part that is so ironic because then we're just like, well, let me explain to you how relationships work. Even Nate at one point, I think, tries to mansplain
0: yeah. Ted. Marriage. He's like, marriage. well,
1: relationships are, and he's like, well, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. but, but what I've heard, you know, and Ted's like, whoa, <laughs> slow your roll there, Nate, you know, like, you know, we each, you know, a lot of men do that because we don't know what to say. And then I think the other part about the fixing, we try to fix things because we don't want to sit in feelings, you know, like it's much easier to fix things, you know, in many ways we've been taught when there's a problem. I mean, I just think of like the way in which, you know, a, lo- a lot of us men are raised is you get hurt, you walk it off. Right. <laughs> like,
0: Yeah. Like yeah. You,
1: you mess up, then, you know, or you break something, then you go and try to fix it. And you can't fix feelings. And that frustrates a lot of us. Because, you know, I've been in these relationships that a lot of my friends have been where like, a woman is telling you their problems. And you're just like, well, can't you do like, we want to be like, can't you just do this? And then if you do this, we don't have to talk about these problems anymore. Not realizing that (laughs) you're really communicating to us is I just want to share my feelings right now. And that's it. Oh, I just want to express my feelings. And we're just like, well, we want to circumvent you having to ever complain about this ever again. And it's just like, well, that's (laughs) just not going to happen. You know, like (laughs) I have this horrible thing at work and you're like, yeah, but you know, you could solve it by quitting or, or confronting that person. But it's just like, well, I don't want to do that right now. I just want to,
0: yeah. yeah, and I will say I I don't think it necessarily is just men, right? Like I think women do that. as like everybody does that at some at yeah,
1: but men are some point along the way. But. <laughs> uh,
0: but speaking of like women and relationships, like I just want to touch real quickly on uh, Keely and Rebecca. Like I love this, and it's so like the relationship that's forming because. You know, you watch pretty much any TV show or movie and like there's always like something undercutting, you know, like there there's always like going to be friction between women in most everything that you yeah. watch these days, right? Like where women are out to get each other or they're stepping on yeah. each other or whatever. And I love that this show really works to like have these women be so tight even though they didn't know each other at the beginning and one of them was super intimidated by the other. Yep and like watching their relationship grow. And, and we know, like, we're like that. um, What's that term? There's a term like, like a neutral observer or something. I can't remember. There's like an actual term for it. But we're that thing, like looking at it from the outside. So we know that Rebecca is still like scheming and all of that. But like, and of course, like last week, because she had that little bit of a breakthrough, there's this scene, like sense of like, Oh, you know, hopefully like she's, she's turning around now. And then today, like, or in this episode, we see her again, just like things are going smashingly. Like we don't have all the seats sold, but that's great. But you do see like little bits shifting. Right. And, and I feel like that is also realistic because you wouldn't expect someone who's in it the way that she is to just do a 180 and be like, all right, now I'm like, you know, and so like, she has to build up to it. Um, But I love that she has Keely's back. And she's just like, you know, let me help push this woman up because I see something in her. I see that she has this gift and, and the discussion they have around it where Keely's like, well, don't, you know, I don't want you to give me a job just because I was nice to you in the bathroom or the loo. And she's like, why? Like men do it all the time. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, and it's true, right? Like it's all about those connections and stuff. So why shouldn't women be able to do the same thing? And I, I just really loved that. Uh, that whole yeah, scene.
1: there's like, there's like a sisterhood that I appreciate that you, that you actually really don't see as much in, in like modern television. And I even think of, um, I used to watch Sex in the City back in the day. I was real, you know, I was actually really into it. Um, and I was reading an article recently that, you know, the Kim Cantrell, the oldest. Cantrell,
0: Cantrell. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, actually hated it at the end because she actually didn't even want to do the movie. She was just like and and Sarah Jessica Parker was just like, oh, we got to do these because it's so popular and everyone wants it. But there was like, even in the show, there was a certain level of like cattiness and and I didn't see that level of like sisterhood. Right. And at the end, it was a lot about like, you know, uh, what is it? Women's relationship to men. And, you know, and the 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 whole story was about Women being able to stand up on their own But at the end they all end up with men And some of them end up with like toxic men And Kim's like yeah I'm done with that Like I don't want to do that mm-hmm. anymore And then people be feeling making it feel you know, her guilty for not Participating in this more And it's, it's like yeah you don't really s- I mean for a guy watching this I'm like I don't really see Like a lot of shows where the woman Has each other's back So like that yeah. That's awesome
0: and I noticed when I'm watching it, like especially the first time I watched it, I could feel in my body like this anticipation of how she going to screw her over. Yes. You know, right, right. Right. Like, oh, this is going well. What's she going to do to screw her over? Right? right. Like, because that's what we're so conditioned to, right. to seeing. And so uh, I love that they're shifting that paradigm. I think it's great. Yeah, um, and
1: then the media is trying to make it seem that women always hate women yeah and it's just like it's not like that (laughs) like no
0: in fact I I feel like in my real life like I've got this solid group of you know like a small group of women that I know have my back no matter what you know mm -hmm. and uh and I'd love to see that reflected somewhere in a way that's real and and whatever you know and so I I like that they're starting to do that
1: and being that I have two older sisters I think that a affected how like i probably have i have more female friends than male friends i do feel even though i'm a dude i do feel a sisterhood with my a lot of my female friends.
0: <laughs> I, I could do so, that about you
1: <laughs> so i'm like i can i, I I'm, I'm with it i feel it so yeah
0: and then the last thing that i just uh there were so many little comedic moments in this um, episode as heavy as it was and as like sad as it was but two things like Uh, this was not comedic, but I love the changing of the word wanker. Right.
1: So reframing again, reframing comes back. Right.
0: Yeah. Super powerful. And I, I love how coach beard also. So you've got Keely and Rebecca pushing each other up, but then you've got beard and and Ted doing the same for each other. And, and beard's Mm -hmm. the one who has, and, you know, he says, Hey coach, listen, you know, and Ted's like, Oh, it's, well, it's the same word. And he goes, yeah, but different, you know? But and different. I love that. Yeah. I love that he's helping him see that. And at the end, you know, like as soon as uh, Michelle pulls away, like the, um, beard is there the with beer. the ears and like, you know, and, and that scene is so powerful and they don't say a word to each other. Yep. Like, you know, it's, but it's just so like, there's, there's comfort and there's, uh, you know, in that like friendship and companionship, there's like an element of love that's there that even though his relationship with his wife is ending, like he's got something that's like anchored and it's yep. going to help him stay anchored, you know? And I just yep. thought that that was so beautiful.
1: And then there's um, the bonus right after that, because then the elderly man is like, hey, Wenga, yeah. you did good yeah. today. Yeah, I think reframing is such a important theme of this yeah. episode from the. You're not quitting. You're letting me go. Wanker, wanker. And I'm sure there are other moments when there's also like a certain level of reframing. Oh, even the reframing when Keely's talking to Jamie and she's like, oh yeah, I don't need to be here anymore. Like, it's just, yeah, that's And if we can like apply that level of like reframing, especially maybe that's my theme as we go into our like takeaways is like, reframing what is actually happening right now when I'm around and getting triggered by my family.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love the holidays.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, reframing is super powerful. So yeah, we should talk about what we want to cover. But one last thing I want to say, because this one's Mm -hmm. so funny is um, in the pub when they're all yelling at Ted and Paul is like, yeah, but he has a nice family. And the other guy turns around and he's like, damn it, Paul, don't humanize him. right? Don't humanize him. <laughs> I was just like, yep. And like, then when
1: he puts his kid on his shoulders yeah. and Rebecca's like, oh. oh because shit. again, yeah. again, like more humanizing, you know, more people yeah. loving Ted. And she's exactly. like, this is the exact opposite of what I wanted.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so many, so many good things in this episode. Like, they're all so good. I just, it's so hard to pick and choose. All right. So you're going to, that's your thing for next time is to reframe. Well, I
1: think I'm going to explore, you know, because, you know, tying in my various ones of attunement and compassionate accountability and gratitude. Yeah. Incorporating reframing, like this idea that instead of me running with a story, you know, I asked my nephews to come and help us decorate the tree. We usually decorate it like right before (laughs) <laughs> mm. christmas right nice. you know and he, he's like i'm going to wisconsin for snowboarding and i'm really like oh these kids like just don't care about <laughs> their elders <laughs> don't care about like hanging out with us and just being like no you know like it's the one time he gets to be with his friends back at home and you know that just that reframing gets me out of my negative spiral so the mm-hmm. more i can just be like when he is here just appreciating the time i have with him instead of thinking of all the times he's not here is going to really help me to have more gratitude. The reframing with a gratitude focus. No, let's go.
0: Yeah. I like that. That's a, that's a really good one. I felt like I had another one, but I can't remember what it is now. As we were talking, something came up for me, but, but I, I like the reframing. I think that that's probably one that I could use some practice with too. So I think I'm going to try that as well and see how that goes. And uh, another, sorry, you're, you're <laughs> like, like, really, you're like, really, I'm, I'm like, like, I'm like uh, I know there was something else. Like, you're like, head,
1: wait but... a minute. I'm trying to get no, but you, isn't that also funny about the thoughts, right? When you so badly want to get it back. Yeah. You and
0: you can't, and as you soon can't. as you let it
1: go, it comes flooding back to you and you're like, Oh yeah. It's so,
0: oh, true. It's so, it's so true. So,
1: so, so.
0: Uh, all right. I just well, reframed
1: the thoughts right there. Oh, that's you. I also might have mansplained you. So I yeah. <laughs> but uh,
0: yeah, no, you didn't. Well, thank you. This was uh, fun yet again. Uh, and I, I appreciate you.
1: This is awesome. I'm excited to experience these last, uh, well, I guess like four, wait, well, yeah, five more episodes. So.
0: I'm I know. Betting. Well, and now they get even better. So Ooh. I'm just like, gonna, yeah. All right, we'll have a lovely holiday. And uh,
1: thanks so much, everyone, soon. for listening. We appreciate. Yeah,
0: hopefully, you're it. still and listening.
1: We'll, so. And we will
0: talk to you later. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Of what would Ted Lasso do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLDpodcast on Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, www.tldpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other Ted heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might've missed.
1: And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. It all helps. We don't know exactly why, but it does. So in the spirit of believing in hope, believing in believe, please help us out.
0: And thank you to Spotify and Sam Davidson for producing our show, to Kajal Devalia for our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Sato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted
1: Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch, or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us.
0: So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves what would Ted Lasso do?